Slick V on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. Scott is calling me. Scott and baby. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. And Daniel, we have a lot to talk about this week. A lot lot going on in college football, good and bad. Um, You know, some recruits, several four-stars coming in this week, and then the most exciting division in college football. Oh, it's our favorite. It is our (laughs) favorite. The best one, so... I know a lot of you might not be interested in watching these noon ACC Coastal games or these Thursday nights. They're 12.30 games. That's right. (laughs) The ACC Network. You best believe Daniel and I are all about these 12.30 ACC Network, Pitt, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech. I mean, this is is primetime college football that a lot of you are missing out on. But, But first things first, some recruiting updates this week. Uh, we've got a four-star wide receiver, Christian Leary, committing to Alabama. Um, four-star safety, J.D. Coffey, committing to Texas. And then four-star corner, Ishmael Ibrahim, committing to Texas as well. So Texas grabbing a couple four-stars. Alabama getting four- and five-stars as usual. And we've got two more that uh, I'll throw it to you, Daniel. Lavasia Carroll and Kamar Wilcoxon. Yeah, so uh, first, the big story here is Kamar Wilcoxon. So, um, you know, commits, they are what they are. It's just a commitment. It's not a signed piece of paper. Um, uh, this young man, he's he's made a decision about uh, four or five times now. He's actually decided, he's, he's committed to Florida. This is his actual third time being considered a public commitment to Florida. Um, and if you'll remember the initial run of early May, end of April on uh, commits for Tennessee, Will Coxon was one of those. He flipped from Florida and went to Tennessee at that point, and now he flips back. So not sure if this recruitment is over, but, um, you know, on the heels of that, uh, there was some smoke around Lavoisier Carroll, who has been a Georgia commit for um, a couple months now, and uh, he is out of IMG Academy. He's originally grew up in, in the state of Georgia, but anyways, he, uh, there's been some smoke around him potentially going to Florida, um, and then he actually came out with one of the most interesting statements, acknowledging that he did consider uh, flipping to Florida and had prayed about it. And then he ended up, you know, him and his family decided he's staying with Georgia and he's actually shutting down his recruitment. So it's it's odd that you get that peek behind the curtain of what's actually taking place. Uh, usually they just say, I reaffirm my commitment or I'm not going anywhere or something like that. Or they just flip their commitment. So. Uh, interesting from that young man, but uh, he is staying with Georgia after first seeing uh, Florida, which, you know, that'll come up later when we talk about the SEC. But Florida still has not recruited a high school running back. This is going on the third cycle in a row now. So something to keep keep paying attention to um, down in Gainesville. But uh, with that, you know, we can you know, we can move to the big storyline of this week, Jacob. Yeah, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has been <laughs> a part of headlines this week, and it's not a good thing. We we mentioned last week that I think through all the all the race issues going on in our country, that sports has brought people together. And generally, like I said it's been nothing but good news coming out of college football as far as right. these teams doing the right thing. And then, man, Monday <laughs> after we record, you know the the Mike Gundy uh, news drop. 
cops. And so, man, so Gundy's seen wearing this OAN t-shirt. You know, OAN is this far-right news network. And, and we're not talking, like, Fox News. This is, like, I mean, like, conspiracy theory, just, like, far, far, far right. A very minority of people is who they're who their uh, target audience, audience. Ma- target yeah. audience. Yeah, there you go. Um, and Chuba Hubbard goes on Twitter and basically says, I'm not participating in anything Oklahoma state related until things change. It was later that night. There's a video of Gundy and him together. I thought I found it very weird that Chuba Hubbard was the one who apologized. Um, you know, and Ch- Chuba Hubbard has come out and said several times, like, Hey, change is happening. That he's a part of conversations. It's just, it's not a good look for Oklahoma State. This is after Mike Gundy's already said some controversial stuff regarding the virus. And the thing is, like, you think about Dabo. When 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 stuff came out about Dabo, with some race stuff was mentioned, a lot of former players came out in support of Dabo. Right. What happened here was a lot of former players came out not in support of Gundy. And that can't be ignored. So, like, yes, they came together and said they're in this together, we're going to change, but... That doesn't negate all the stuff the former players said. And so I don't think this story is over with quite yet. And it makes me question, you know, as we, we're going to talk about the Big 12 next week, you and I are both very high in Oklahoma State. Right. It makes me question if the culture is good enough for them to achieve their ceiling this year because their ceiling is very, very high. And so, yeah, I just have a lot of questions with Oklahoma State because of this issue. I agree. I think um, it definitely throws a wrench into everything. Gundy, you know, he's that he's he's an Oklahoma State alum. He went there. He pl- you know he played for them, and now he's been coaching there. And it's kind of you know the dream job scenario. He's got his niche, and like you know, Oklahoma is satisfied with what or Oklahoma State, excuse me, is satisfied with what he's doing. You know, nine ten wins a year. Uh, you know, worse years usually seven and five year. Better years he's coming up to ten wins are so challenging some teams always has a fun team to watch his offenses always look great uh he develops players that kind of thing so you know from a from just strictly job he's doing that's what's going on but you know I mean you could tell he's always been a little outspoken about things you know when you ask him his thoughts on Twitter his thoughts about this or his thoughts about that he's very old school when it comes to that and so this doesn't seem like it's off brand when I saw it I'll be honest, the whole OAN deal, I've never heard of it because it's just not something within my, you know, crosshairs of, you know, just my regular come in contact with, you know, this kind of network. Um, obviously, my my attention was drawn to it when Chuba, uh, when Chuba Hover, Chuba Hover, excuse me, um, brought it up. And so I wanted to kind of get get more information on it. And when I saw what the, what's been said now, <clears throat> that's the problem, though. It's his track record. It's not it's not what he did with the shirt because the shirt is explainable. Like what he said could be explained if he said he said I was an idiot. He used other words, but he said I was an idiot for wearing it because I didn't know enough about the network when I put it on or I just it was just a shirt. You know, and so I had some I was educated by my players and this kind of thing. Well, if he didn't have any previous track record, you could say, hey, he was just ignorant to what was going on. He had just you know, naive. That's all it was. But, you know, there, where there's smoke, there's fire. The fact that some, like what you said, some players have come out and said some things. Um, and he's just made some some comments. Nothing has come out. I'll say nothing has come out and sounded blatantly terrible. Like, 
the use of any like specific derogatory terms like you know anything like that <clears throat> however there are some things where he might have some some biases that he needs to work on and you know i hope that the video is true and they are working on some sort of change but you know it is what it is it's something to keep an eye on i will say kind of on the reverse of what you said where this could limit them from getting to their ceiling sometimes this kind of conflict can really push them to dig in and be there for each other and it might have the reverse effect where maybe they reach higher heights than they ever thought possible so you know I, I'd lo- it's going to be interesting to see it play out on the field and in the locker room, that kind of thing. All I know is they can't have any more setbacks. It has to be everything going forward from here. If it is another setback, something else comes up, a sound clip or something, that might be the end of Oklahoma State season. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get into the, the meat of this week's episode, and that's the ACC Coastal. And we're going to start at the top, work our way down with how we think this division is going to finish out. And we've been talking about it. It's no surprise. This will be the media favorite. But we're picking the North Carolina Tar Heels to win the ACC Coastal. And you and I kind of talked about it several weeks ago. We're like, hey, I think Carolina's going to be pretty good. It's been mentioned a lot. And we started to dig in, and we're like, oh, wow. Like, they they really are going to be really good this year. Give me your your thoughts on North Carolina. So it's just – it's funny because it's like – I. We don't ever want to have just a hot take to ha- for the sake of having a hot take. That's not something we're about. Me and you, we're on the same lines as that, which I really like that about you know what what our brand is. But you know, I really didn't want to pick North Carolina um, for the sake of everybody picking them, but right. at the, it, b- because of what I know about the coastal, it has nothing to do with North Carolina. Right. Has nothing to do with what I think about the media. I just know that it's never as perfect as it seems in the coastal. So, seven teams have won the division in seven in years. Seven years. That's it. So, so it's it would not make sense for North Carolina to win it this right. year, uh, even though they'd be a different team from last year, which Virginia was last year. So, but I'll put that aside. Yes, you're. Let's go ahead and get out of the way. Sam Howell coming back. I mean. It wasn't just a good year last year for a freshman. It was a great year. It was almost 3,700 yards passing. So uh, had a great year, 38 touchdowns to seven picks as a true freshman. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just that alone is enough for you to to pick them over several of the guys, several of the uh, teams on their schedule. But returning 10 on offense, four-fifths of that offensive line, I mean – that's just, you know, returning a senior tailback uh, who is, you know, just a solid back over a thousand yards last year, Michael Carter. Um, and then they had another back who was almost at a uh, thousand himself and 933 yards for, um, for Javante Williams. So like, you know, you talk about just production on offense coming back and then you flip it over on the defense. Hey, you still got, you got seven guys back there and it's just, I don't know. It's just, you've got a lot of the right positions coming back. So I really like this team. I'm interested to watch this team take a step forward. I think one of the biggest keys is Sam Howell having his three leading receivers back uh, from last year. I think that that's going to go a long way. I mean, you could look his top five receivers from last year are technically back. So that's going to, you know, he had two guys over a thousand yards. It's just going to be huge for his development and they can grow together and, you know, you'll, you'll really see he's got a lot of seniors on this team. This might be their best team. It might be this year rather than the following year when he's a junior. Right. So this might be their year to capitalize. Definitely, man. 
you know, North Carolina ranks 17th in our preseason SPR, XPR, excuse me. They also rank 17th SP plus 18th in the country in returning production. You just hit on that, man. We're, we're picking Carolina to go nine and three. And here's why that's a very easy decision for me. Last year they lost, they went seven and five in the regular season. Um, and excuse me, they go six and six. Yeah, they went six and six because they won their bowl game against Temple. That's what it is. Yeah, that's them at seven and six for the season. So six and six last season. Every single loss was by seven or less points. All six of their losses, including and everyone remembers the one point loss to Clemson. Now I'm not saying they beat Clemson this year. You know they don't play Clemson the regular season. They would, you know, they would face them. We're saying in the ACC championship. Right. But, but that's a big help. They don't play them in the regular season. Just exactly. That. And so, I, I, you know, you, you trade off Clemson for you draw Auburn in your non-conference. They do draw UCF at UCF first game of the season. But I'm saying, man, can they win half of those games they lost last year by seven points with this team with the returning production? Right. Easily, in my opinion. And so nine and three is an easy, easy pick for us. Six and two in the ACC. Again, it's still the coastal. You're still going to lose some games that you shouldn't lose, and you're going to win some games that you shouldn't win because of the coastal. And so we have them losing to Auburn. We haven't beaten UCF in week one. Losing to Auburn in Atlanta for the Chick fil A kickoff game week two, and then losing road games at Virginia and at Miami. So 9 3, coastal champs. Mac is back. We love North Carolina this year. Like, they're ceiling. They could go 10 and 2. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't love yeah. about 11 1, but they can go 10 and 2. Um, pretty easily with this team, but we feel like 93 is a safe bet. Their win total set at eight and a half, so we're going right over that. Yeah, we like we like the Tar Heels this year. Um, so next team in the Coastal, in true Coastal fashion, yes, is the Pittsburgh Panthers. Why? Because it's the Pittsburgh Panthers. That's why. <laughs> yeah. So this with Pitt, they're oh my gosh. If if we could pick a quintessential, you know. ACC Coastal team. The poster child for that is the Pitt Panthers. I, Jacob, I was trying to prove myself wrong because I said this, uh, you know, to you during this week. I don't even have to know any players for who who Pitt's trotting out there, and they're going to win seven or eight games, and they're going to beat a couple teams that they shouldn't, and they're going to lose to some teams that they shouldn't, and you're just going to be like, you know what, whatever, it's Pitt. But then I looked at their past ten years of win totals. And the last time they won more than eight games, it was 2010 when they won 10. and 2009, they won nine. But every year since then, it's six, seven, or eight wins. So we got them going eight and four. So kind of at the top of that. But they, they just do this all the time. So I like Pitt. Um, the more I've looked at them, I mean, they're just a tough team. Narduzzi, they take on the – the Narduzzi's their head coach, Pat Narduzzi. They take on the um, – you know, personality of their head coach. They're just kind of that uh, blue collar type of team. They are returning four of their five offensive linemen returning the quarterback. He's a senior returning the running back. He's a senior. So, you know, you've got that going for you. Eight guys back on defense. Um, You know, you've got your typical ACC coastal schedule. They do obviously get Notre Dame this year. So that's a, that's, you know, in and of itself is going to be a nice little draw. And then obviously Florida state is the cross division this week, this year, but you know, it's a, um, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a fun year, um, every year with Pitt and this year, I think, especially because I think they do have a little bit of uh, gas in the tank to, 
you know, maybe put a couple surprises on some of the better teams on their schedule and maybe show some vulnerabilities of some teams. They're not scared. They don't back down. So that's one of the things I love about Pitt and Pat Narduzzi. It's just they, they go after it that way. Yeah, man. And, like, you know, last year, you know, you lose to Virginia, Penn State, but, you, you know, Miami, but you go and beat North Carolina. So, like, Pitt's one of those teams that even in their off years goes and beats somebody in the Coastal. We feel like they're going to be, you know, pretty good this year. And eight and four seems very likely. Where you know their win total set at six and a half. We're picking them to go eight and four, five and three in the ACC. We got them losing Notre Dame, um, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and Virginia. But that you know that would mean beating Florida State and beating Miami, beating Virginia Tech. So we're picking Pitt to beat some teams that, on paper, you might say you know you're not picking Pitt, but if you're looking at Pitt, you might pick them. If you're really looking at their team, you know, they're not the sexy name like Virginia Tech or Florida State, but they're the Pittsburgh Panthers. And, like, again, like you said, Pat Narduzzi is just a tough brand of football. And, you know, they're, they're going to run the ball down your throat with a senior running back and four returning offensive linemen. That's a really good recipe for Pitt to have a really good season this year. Um, and returning a lot on the, you know, three out of the four in the defensive line as well. So, we're going to punch you in the mouth. We got Pitt finishing second in the Coastal. And I'll just say, you know, on the front end, our ACC conference records for all of these teams are as follows. 6-2, and 5-3, 5-3, 5-3, 4-4, 4-4, 2-6. So you've got six of the seven teams within two games of each other in the ACC. And so as we're talking about these records, you might say, wow, you know, Pitt's not the second best team in the Coastal. We don't think they are either. But with the way we pick wins and losses, that's how it ends up, is Pitt finishing second in the Coastal because of tiebreakers. Um, so let's go ahead and move to the next team we have finishing in the Coastal, which is the Virginia Tech Hokies. They're ranked 22nd in our preseason XPR. They are ranked 32nd in SP+. Returning production, they rank 6th in the country. So, I mean, a lot of returning production this year. Their win total set at 8 you know, give me your thoughts on Justin Fuente and the Hokies. Yeah, so, you know, it's going to be a different year for Virginia Tech this year. They don't have Bud Foster coming back as a D.C. He has retired. Um, and so that's like, you know, that's that's always been – ever since Beamer left, uh, that's always still been somewhat of their identity was that defense. You knew what you were going to get. They are returning 10 starters defensively. I do think that they're going to be very good on that side of the ball. Um, and like you said, sixth in the nation in returning production. Like there is a lot to like about this team. 10 on defense coming back, nine on offense. But you might as well go ahead and say 10 on offense if you're counting uh, returning players just because of Khalil Herbert um, running back uh, from Kansas. He's been he, – he played there and he tra- he transferred um, this offseason. He is eligible immediately, and he'll be starting as a senior uh, for them. Um, he had you know just under 400 yards last year. That that's going to be big for them to get a shot in the arm because right now their leading returning rusher is their quarterback Hendon Hooker, um, and he had uh, 350 yards himself last year. So. You know, something to keep an eye on there. Are they going to be one-dimensional, or are they going to be able to run the ball? Um, that's my biggest question for Virginia Tech. 
Um, but yeah, you've got to like the returning production. You've got to see if Fuente, you know, he, he proved himself obviously when he was head coach at Memphis come in here, you know, he's had a couple of okay seasons last year. I mean, you know, eight and five, but you know, they did lose to Virginia. Um, and that was the first time in, I think, 15 years that that happened. So, you know, Virginia Tech fans are probably, you know, going to have him on a short leash. Not, you know, for the sheer fact of they need to win that rivalry game that's very important to Hokie fans. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that goes. And, I mean, I think the biggest story this year is, yes, you return all these players, but no Bud Foster. What is What does the defense look like under, you know, Justin Hamilton, their new defensive coordinator? Virginia Tech to me is interesting because they were the team of the Coastal for a long time, and they had some really great years with Frank Beamer. He's a Hall of Fame a college football coach. Fuente comes in from Memphis, coming off of great seasons at Memphis. First season they get ten and four. They win the Coastal. Um, you know they won the Belk Bowl that year, won ten games. So high expectations at that point. The Virginia Tech is coming back. <laughs> like retain right. Bud Foster, they're going to be this team again. Um, you know, Blacksburg is going to be the place to play, um, all that stuff. So they go nine and four the following year. 2018 goes six and seven. Last year, go eight and five. So I see this as a leveling out of, I don't think Justin Fuente is the guy that's going to win 10 games, you know, every other year at Virginia Tech. Like, I think he's more of an eight and four coach. And right. prove me, prove me wrong. They have they have the roster to go win the Coastal, to go 10-2 and two this year, to go beat North Carolina, prove everybody who's picking North Carolina wrong, and show that they're more talented, better coached, all that stuff. But to me, he's going to have to prove it because Justin Fuente, I think, to me so far, has not been what I thought he was right. going into Virginia Tech. And he was the hottest name you know, to be a head coach. Virginia Tech comes open, everyone praised him for it, perfect fit, and... Like, man, is, is this going to be the leveling out of Virginia Tech where they're an 8-4 and four team that can cycle up or down to that 10-2 and two and 6-7? and seven? And is this one of those years where you cycle up? So it's just a wild card for me. The production speaks for itself. Like you said, Khalil Herbert coming in, he's the top-ranked running back in the transfer portal. But, yeah, we have him going 8-4, and four, losing to North Carolina and Pitt, Um excuse me, and Virginia and Penn State. You know, they get Penn State at the beginning of the season. Penn State's one of the best teams in the country. They're not going to beat Penn State, even though the game's at home. And end of the year, you know, they're going to go into that Virginia game with a chance to at least be tied for that, you know, North Carolina will have the head-to-head. But you and I just think, you know, we talked about when we picked the Virginia-Virginia Tech game, it was who do we trust more, Bronco Mendenhall or Justin Fuente? Yeah. And the answer was Bronco Mendenhall. And we, you know, we'll talk about Virginia in just a few minutes, but it really came down to that. And so that tells you our opinion of Justin Fuente. I just don't think he's got to prove it for me. And so I'm not going to believe it until I see it with Fuente. Um, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they do this year. They've got the roster to do better than we're saying they're doing. We're saying eight and four. The next team we're going to talk about in the Coastal, the Miami Hurricanes. And Daniel, Miami's a team that you're really high on. I have some question marks similar to, you know, Virginia Tech for me. Uh, Miami is ranked 24th in our preseason XPR, 23rd in SP+. They're ranked 97th in the country for returning production, 
So not a ton coming back, but we know you know they got some transfers in there. Win total set at nine. Give me your thoughts on Miami. Well, so you know I hate to base most of this <clears throat> on one transfer quarterback, but um, I I didn't see um, I didn't see Miami being able to land Derek King. So I'll start I'll start with I'll start with that. Um, you know, they've got Brevin Jordan, who may be the best tight end in the nation. Um, he may get, be a first-round pick next April. Uh, so going into the NFL draft, he's a junior this year. ton of production from him uh, from that tight end spot. They are having to bring in, uh, you know, more starting receivers. Like you said, they don't have a lot of uh, returning production per se. They've got four-fifths the offensive line back. I don't know if that's good because they weren't very good last year. Uh, but part of what I'm thinking is, uh, you know, Derek King is a playmaker and I believe that he is going to be able to produce points for the Miami Hurricanes, whether that be through the air on the ground. I I think that they're, they're just going to be a quality, uh, they're going to be a tough out for most of the teams that they play. Um, and then defensively, uh, Gregory Rousseau coming back. I mean, 15 and a half sacks as a freshman last year, absolutely ridiculous. And then you pair him with Quincy Roche, the transfer they got from Temple. I'm interested to see if they're able to pin their ears back and it, you know, if if uh, Miami is able to live up to the billing, they do, you know, have a new offensive coordinator. Rhett Lashley did come over, and uh, you know, his offense coming in. You don't have to have great offensive line play, um, you know, to be elite. And so I think that it's kind of all of it's coming together at the right time. Derek King wouldn't have gone there if he didn't believe that he could showcase his skills for the next level. And um, I'm interested to see what what goes on here. But, yeah, they don't return a ton of production, seven on offense, uh, five on defense as far as returning starters. I know that's not the same as production, um, but – you know, you do have a couple at key positions on defense, those, dif- you know, DNs, and then, you know, a couple of defensive backs, big-time defensive backs, Al Blades Jr. and uh, Gervon Hall Jr. Um, both of those, along with those bookend pass rushers, I think you've got enough guys at the right positions to um, return to, I don't know, take a big step forward. Um, I had them, I had them myself at 10-2, and two, uh, but we definitely – you know, watered that down a little bit, have them going nine and three. But uh, talk to me about the uh, the schedule and the production, Jacob. So Miami, think of this. Three years ago, Mark Rick is the head coach. Uh, they are 10 and 0 heading into the last two games of the season. And then, you know, the collapse happens. They lose the last two games. But, you know, the turnover chain, the defense was on fire. It was like, is Miami back? They lost you know. the last four games that year, but well, yeah, because it will last two games of the regular season, then <laughs> yeah, it was no, you know, just... the AC championship and the bowl and game. The yeah. bowl game. <laughs> so dramatic collapse. And then 2018, Mark Rick's last season, just not as good as that first year. But again, defense, turnover machine, you know, the defense, defense, defense. I already talked about it. Mark Rick retires. And Manny Diaz, who had left for the Temple head coaching job, they convinced him to come back and be the head coach of Miami because it was like, man, he was the reason the defense was so good. And so everybody, including myself, was like, man, Manny Diaz, 
that was a great hire by Miami. Like, get the guy who already knows your team, knows your players, was already making a difference in Miami. Um, and so I think this is a prove-it kind of year. Usually I'd say year three for coaches, but because he's been around the program right. for four years, this is a prove-it year for me. Um, although they don't have a ton of returning production, they've got talent. Defensively, man, they might have the best two defensive ends slash outside linebacker, let's say pass rushing duo yeah. in the country with Gregory Rousseau and Quincy Rose transferring in as one of the most highly rated transfers in the country. And right. so they're going to have a great pass rush. Like you said, the return offensive linemen, they weren't great last year, but you bring in a quarterback like Derek King, and you're going to be able to make stuff happen that you normally wouldn't make happen, where the play collapses, he might be able to still get you a first down with his legs <laughs> and escape situations and get the ball out more quickly. He's, you know, he has experience, better decision making, better decision maker, better arm. And also, like you said, it's a it's a contract year for Derek King. He wouldn't have come to Miami unless he believed that he could be a difference maker and make himself look good for the NFL draft. That had to be a selling point for Miami to get him to come here. All that being said, I'm a little lower on Miami than you are. You know, we we settle on nine and three. Uh, we have them losing to Pittsburgh, Florida State. And Virginia Tech. So wins against North Carolina, Michigan State early on in the season, beating everybody else in the ACC, obviously. But 9-3 seems like a great year for Miami. And the reason I'm not as inclined to go 10-2 and two with Miami is just because, again, I I need to see it to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I want Manny Diaz to, to prove himself this year. I th- you know, like I said, it's year two for him. But because he's been around the program, this to me is a – Show me you're the right man for the job in Miami. It's got to be a step in the right direction. I agree. If eight wins to me is the floor, otherwise you really start having question marks about him, you know? Right, right. If they they follow their six-win season last year with a seven-win season, you're like, this isn't going to move fast enough. But, you know. Definitely. That's Miami. Yeah. And that's Miami, and with with a win now mentality in college football, yeah, you're gonna want to see at least a two win increase from last year uh, to show that you're going the right direction. Um, but yeah, so after Miami, let's talk about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and they're not ranked in our XPR preseason, ranked 58th SP plus. Man, they rank second in the country for returning production. This is year two for Jeff Collins. You know, you got the rebuild started with, I mean, a much larger rebuild than a lot of other teams have just because you're going from a, not just a, you know, a different offense, but the the wing T triple option to a modern spread is quite the change. This isn't going from power football to the spread. This is the wing T triple option, you know, to a spread offense. And so Jeff Collins has his work cut out for him at Georgia Tech, but you and I both think this is going to be a year where Georgia Tech takes a step in the right direction. Right. Um, And, yeah, on the heels of that returning production, obviously it's like they were returning from not a great team. So it's something that, um, you know, they need the returning production. They need to build on that. You can't obviously rest on what they've got coming back. But uh, this is something that, you know, yes, they return. They got, you know, 10 guys back on offense, seven guys back on defense. They're still doing a job recruiting. Um, I actually was listening to uh, Coach Collins speak, and when he first came in last year, their offensive line averaged six foot one, 
265 pounds. That was the average for their offensive line. It's 2020, y'all. That's what their average offensive line was. Right now, it's back. It's up to six foot five, 295. So through transfers, through recruiting, and then through just moving some things around, that's that's where they're at right now. So you talk about just even if it's the same caliber of athlete, if they're still a three-star or a two-star or whatever, the fact that they are now just bigger is alone, I think, going to be helpful. And same for defense. Defense was averaging around the same. I think all of their defensive line recruits this year were no like the shortest one was six foot five. Everybody was like six, 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 seven, that kind of thing. So just big, big to get that kind of thing. Um, I think they have three capable backs that can play winning ACC football. That's not something you're really going to question coming from the triple option. You were going to have running backs available, but this, the caliber of recruit that they've gotten. So Jordan Mason is their starting running back, but Jemias Griffin, who is their highest recruited player last year, and he was the highest recruited player since 2008 recruiting class or 2007 recruiting class, excuse me. So um, he was a four-star. He committed last year. That was a big coup for Jeff Collins to get him on the late signing period. And then this year, Jameer Gibbs out of Dalton, Georgia, he was a huge get. I mean, they fought off uh, Florida, um, Ohio State, all these other schools to get Jameer Gibbs. Uh, so I, I think three capable running backs. And then quarterback James Graham, he had a good year towards the end of the year last year. Um, they finally moved Tobias Oliver to a receiver. and then. They are uh, bringing in a freshman who was originally committed to Florida State, um, and he flipped. He's from the Jacksonville area. His name's Jeff Sims. So I think there's actually going to be a quarterback competition this year, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas last year it was someone take the job. It was a competition last year. Nobody had the job, but they were just trying to give it to someone. And this year I think you're going to see maybe an improvement in that uh, category. So – Definitely excited to watch Georgia Tech this year um, in the ACC Coastal. They've got a, a chance at least to win some more games than they did last year, you know. Definitely. And we've got Georgia Tech going five and seven. So Vegas has their win total set at three. We're definitely going over that. Last year they went two and six in the ACC. We have them going four and four. And so in, in beating some teams that you might not think, you know, yeah, I'm going to pick Georgia Tech to win that game, but – if they're taking a step in the right direction, which we believe they will, we've got them beating UCF. UCF on paper you know, should win that game. Right. Um, they'll be favored in that game. Virginia, you know, Pitt, Syracuse, Duke. So winning four ACC games, you know, unfortunately yeah. for Georgia Tech with their schedule, this is a team that you and I both think, you know, if you're just looking at their team without their schedule, they're a bold team. Yeah. But – and they're non-conference this year. They have four non-conference games. It's Gardner-Webb, the only walk in the park. And then you've got UCF, Notre Dame, and Georgia. And so even UCF, when you, when you probably scheduled that, they were probably a nobody school. And now UCF is arguably the best group of five team, group of five program. Right, program. And, yeah. and then, you you know, you draw two top ten teams in Georgia every year, and you get Notre Dame this year. And so, bad luck schedule-wise, we think Georgia Tech's going to be a much better team than they were last year, especially taking, you know, two years off from the triple option. Um, but schedule-wise... product this year. Absolutely. And so, 5-7, and seven we think, is a huge improvement for Georgia Tech. 4-4 four and four in the ACC. 
and hopefully continuing those steps forward to go to a bowl game next year and then potentially win the Coastal over the next three years, you know, be in a position to compete for win the Coastal. Um, so, yeah, Georgia Tech. Let's move on to the defending Coastal champions, the Virginia Cavaliers, with one of our favorite coaches, Bronco Mendenhall. They're rank, they don't rank in our preseason S- preseason SP plus ring excuse me they don't rank in our preseason XPR rankings come on Jacob say they it rank, right <laughs> they rank 44th in SP plus 56th in returning production their win total set at six and a half after going nine and three in the regular season last year give me your thoughts on Virginia so you know it's difficult because you know losing Bryce Perkins I mean he was their leading rusher last year and obviously he's a quarterback. So it's just it's difficult to peg them on offense on what they're going to be. They return the entire offensive line. So that's a great start. They return a, you know, a receiver and their uh, leading running back. So, um, you know, like I said, though, their leading rusher was their quarterback. So the running back being back is big, but not as big as you might think. Uh, they return nine on defense. So that's that's good in and of itself. Broncos, a great coach, Bronco Mendenhall. So just in general, I trust them to a certain extent. We'll have to see what happens at quarterback because, you know, the uh, they do get a transfer in with Keaton Thompson. Um, there's some question marks around him. I think he's super talented. He was your favorite, um, at, at least at the time while we were doing that, uh, the transfer portal show. You mentioned that he's one of your favorite, at least matches, how he matches up with this team. It's a good marriage of team need and quarterback. He's got a lot of talent. Um, we saw that a couple times at Mississippi State when he was there. It's going to be interesting to see what he does here. Um, or if Brennan Armstrong hangs on to the job. He was the backup last year. He played a little bit. Um, we'll see. It's, you know, it'll be a competition. But, you know, signs point to Keaton winning that, winning that job. They do have a tough schedule this year. Uh, they play Clinton, Georgia, obviously, in the non-con. So going to be difficult to start the year. And then just it is what it is. It, I, I can't see them losing such a, I, I guess, program player in Bryce Perkins and then just, like, duplicating what they did last year. I mean, they still lost five games last year. So if you think about it like that, like, you know, they may not have been as great as we thought. Yes, it was, you know, they lost their uh, 9-3 regular season. So it was a good season, but they're going to take a little bit of a step back, you would think. They will, and I don't think, kind of how you said, the schedule is going to be one of the big reasons why they take a bigger step back because, yes, they draw Georgia in the non-con, and then out of the Atlantic, they draw arguably the best two teams out of the Atlantic in Clemson and Louisville. And so right. – we're picking them to lose both of those games, the Atlantic teams, as well as losses to Georgia Tech and Miami. And so at 7-5, and five, I think you take a, a small step back and then take another step forward next year. Like you said, I mean, Bryce Perkins led the team in both passing yards and, and rushing yards last year. Pro, You know, program-changing kind of player. This is year four for Bronco Mendenhall. He took the step forward that Justin Fuente has yet to take in year three. And so he took the step forward to go win the Coastal, be a top 25 team. So this is a season where I think their ceiling is they could be a top 25 team again. I just think their schedule is preventing them from being there at the end of the year. And so go to a bowl game, go get the eighth one in your bowl game this year, 
and then take another step forward next year where I fully expect Virginia to be competing for the Coastal again next year. I mean, they'll compete this year, but um, to be in a position to win the Coastal again next year. Right. Last but not least, let's talk the Duke Blue Devils. Duke ranks 69th in in the SP Plus ranking, 65th in returning production. Their win total is set at 5.5, and... David Cutcliffe has been there for, I think, the last 86 years at Duke. We're roughly. Um, roughly. <laughs> no. uh, 12th year or 13th season at Duke for David Cutcliffe. Give me your thoughts on Duke. So very good news for Duke. Basketball season starts in November, so they're set up for that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, they're they're going to, I mean, relative to the ACC Coastal, I mean, 5-7 and seven is no – no snuff. I know that I just revealed what we're going to talk about, but you know they're going to be a, they're going to be interesting and they're going to be good for a Duke team. I think um, Chase Bryce obviously going to be the big story. He's transferring in from Clemson. Um, he's got two years eligibility. I don't. I mean, I would imagine that he's probably going to use those two years. So you know this year and next year. So you, it might be something where you're looking at they might be pretty good next year. This year they might be pretty good too. Um, you know, obviously we're talking relative for Duke. Um, but, you know, Chase Bryce, good quarterback. Uh, he wanted to come get, you know, tutored by one of the greatest, you know, college quarterback coaches in David Cutcliffe. And his reputation precedes him, obviously. So you've got four out of five offensive linemen coming back. You've got, a, you know, leading rusher. you got your receivers uh, your leading receiver and your tight end uh, coming back. So those are those are all positives. Defensively, six returning starters. I mean, it's better than, you know, five or four or three, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, it's not an overwhelming amount. Uh, Duke is always going to kind of be in the range where they're going to be pretty well coached um, and they're going to have to kind of make up for some of the, you know, athleticism that they're not going to have. Um, relative to some of their opponents, you know, largely because of their academic requirements. But, you know, this will be interesting to watch. Um, I will tune into some Duke games because, I, I'm honestly, I'd like to see Chase Bryce with a full season to see what he's got at the college level, especially going and playing at Duke. I think he could play. He played, you know, pretty good in reserve role at Clemson. You know, let's see what he's got, uh, what he's got to offer. I believe in David Cutcliffe as a quarterback's coach still. I don't know if I believe in David Cutcliffe as a head coach still. Um, you know, he came in at Duke. They were horrible before he got there. I'm looking now, like, they had 0-11, 0-11, 2-10, 2-9, 1-10, 0-12, 1-11 before he got there. So, I mean, just horrible. Then his first five years, they won, you know, three to five games. And then turned the corner around 2012 where they went 6-7, and seven, Ten and four, nine and four, eight and five, um, and then four and eight, seven and six, eight and five, five and seven. So it's leveled out in that four to eight win range where they had a couple cycle up years where they won the coastal. I just like it's year twelve, and I think you're going to start to see some of these older coaches phase out. Um, Duke's a hard job, and so I don't know if you know they're never going to fire David Cutcliffe because. Like you said, basketball starts in November, and Cutcliffe's like a good guy, and he's at a prestigious university, and he's you know he's producing some NFL talent, 
And so they're, you know, they're going to get a couple players that are going to go there to get developed into NFL talent. And he's a great developer of, you know, people as well. And so, yeah, I just think Duke, you know, they, they passed the peak of what they could be um, under David Cutcliffe. But, you know, for Duke, there, there's no pressure to go win 10 games. It's right. like, oh, wow, that was fun. That one year we won 10 games. <laughs> you, yeah, you no, don't have the like, pressure these other schools have. That, right, exactly. And so going five and seven, I just think that's going to be Duke football under Cutcliffe is this five to seven wins that Duke's going to have where, hey, we're going to get a couple ACC wins. We'll beat a couple teams and we're going to lose the rest. <laughs> and so, you know, don't schedule anybody hard in your non-con like, you know, Alabama in game one. I don't think that's very smart. <laughs> like right. last year, don't They're schedule any more Alabamas. Brand with Middle Tennessee this year, and then Elon, and then Charlotte. It's like, hey, there you go, Duke. You're trying to make that's a bowl right. game. This year. All right. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, they draw Notre Dame this year. And so again, this is a team that could go bowling, but got to set. You know, Notre Dame I know is contractually obligated. They have to play ACC schools, but <laughs> got to set schedule on those. Uh, those Notre Dames, Alabamas, keep those off the schedule so you can go bowling every year. <laughs> Did you realize that, um, I mean, because this is our last week talking about the ACC, and we've already talked about Notre Dame, so I'll bring it up this week. Um, Notre Dame, their uh, their TV contract, obviously you have they have the one with uh, NBC, um, that it's $15 million a year that they make with them alone, and then they still get full share of the ACC network money too. Um, and I was reading more about it just cause I was curious cause I knew that they had their NBC. So, I mean, it's just something where, you know, the ACC wants to be a viable option for Notre Dame to continue to build their branding by co-branding a lot of stuff. So they're willing to concede and give these concessions to Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame has complete hand in the relationship where they're able to kind of do as they please um, but that's just interesting. They're, Notre Dame's actually playing six games. They're only contractually obligated to play five ACC games, but they're playing six this year. So I thought that was an interesting note, something to keep an eye on. Uh, probably just scheduling in general. They're like, hey, you know, get someone else on the schedule. Let's go get another Power Five team. We'll pick someone from the ACC. So uh, interesting note there as far as the relationship of the Notre Dame and the ACC. Here's an idea. Notre Dame to the Coastal. And UCF to the Atlantic. Well, we get hey, expanded conferences. <laughs> that's, you know, why not? You know, that'd be you know, that'd be you interesting. Get, you get a Clemson level team in the in the coastal, and then you add a competitive team to the Atlantic. You do but, need another middle tier team to, yep. to the Atlantic to kind of balance it out a little bit. That would be that'd be interesting. I'd be on on board for that. Definitely. Well. Next week will be a longer episode. We're going to talk Big 12, you know, not a big enough conference to break up into divisions. Plus, they don't have divisions. But we'll talk the whole Big 12 next week, uh, who we think is going to finish in the, you know, the regular season Big 12 champion, since there are no divisions. Um, but Big 12 next week, we're excited to talk about them. And then, the, you know, the next few weeks, we'll talk Big 10, Pac-12, SEC. And, you know, that'll be six more weeks of – you know, week by week with divisions, all leading up to our preseason college football playoff picks here at the end of the summer and right before the season starts. 
But that'll do it for this edition of the Extra Point. You can follow him on Twitter at Deep South Daniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes. See ya. You-